This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Colin Shaw. Colin Shaw is an original pioneer of customer experience, and LinkedIn has recognized him as one of the world's top 150 business influencers, which is a big deal in my book. Uh, Colin's company, Beyond Philosophy, LLC, has been recognized by the Financial Times as one of the leading management consultancies in the last four years. He's also the co-host of the highly successful Intuitive Customer Podcast, rated in the top 5% globally, which I highly recommend you check out because I do myself. Uh, last, Colin has authored seven best-selling books on customer experience and marketing. My favorite is The Intuitive Customer, The Seven Imperatives for Moving Your Customer Experience to the Next Level. Colin, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thanks for having us on, Nick. It's, um, I've been looking forward to this. So yeah, all, all good, good to be on. So the first question I have for you is, and I ask every single guest, is what's one thing people might not know about you? You can probably tell from my accent that I'm English but I spend 50% of my time in the States and 50% of my time here. I'm a season ticket holder at Luton Town Football Club or Soccer Club. And um, so when I'm in England, I go and watch them play, but they only have, they don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of fans. So um, I'm unusual in that respect. Sounds like you need to work with them to improve that fan experience and uh, drive more engagement to the, to the experience. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's it's the type of club. Whereas when you phone them up and say what time's kickoff, they say what time can you get here? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. If I ever make my way there, we'll we'll have to go to a game. That sounds awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So the you know I I think there's a lot of questions that I I want to ask. Obviously, with your your time and in, in the contact center space, your time in uh, writing seven books and and just the experience that you guys you have. But the first question I have for you is, what are the intuitions that drive customer behavior? Because I think we can all start somewhere, but it should be starting towards the beginning. It's a big question. And it's a question that sort of absorbed my life for the last 10 years, basically. What you get to understand is that the first thing is, is that we're all human beings and human beings are Despite our, despite the fact that we think we're logical animals, we're not. We make strange decisions and um, have various different influences on us, and that then applies in the customer experience space, whether you're in the B two B marketplace or the B two C marketplace. So you know, there, if if you if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that there's 50 million of them. Okay, but some of the big ones are things like the difference between intuitive and rational thinking, okay? So intuitive thinking, and this is a guy called Professor Daniel Kahneman, okay? He's won the Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics. Intuitive thinking is, in fact, let me give you an example. It's a bit like um, you see a, a bar of chocolate and you think to yourself, oh, I like that. And then your the other part of your brain says, nah, don't have that. 
you know, that's not very healthy, you know, you're putting on weight, whatever it may be. Okay. And that's the classic sort of the differences between the two. The intuitive part is going the impulse part. And again, this goes back to the the days, not prehistoric days, but the, the days of, um, in evolutionary terms, the sort of the core part of our brain. And then the frontal lobe is the bit that gives us that sort of more rationalized thinking. So the intuitive part is very quick. It's on demand. Uh, it makes quick decisions. It's easy to to make a choice. The rational part is when you really hear about people thinking. So when people say, um, that's a good point, I need to think about that, or, you know, let me consider that for a bit, or something like that. That's the more rational part of things. Uh, to give you another another example, more in a customer experience type space, I was doing the workshop up in uh, Washington, and I live half my life in um, Sarasota in Florida. Um, and I always fly Delta, okay, because I, I used to have an office in uh, Atlanta. We've now moved it to Sarasota, and I've, I've always flown Delta. And so when we were having this workshop up in Washington, I immediately went on to the Delta website and booked a trip. And it went through Atlanta up to Washington. One of my colleagues was traveling the same uh, to the same place, and he was traveling from Tampa. And he said, oh, did you get the Southwest flight from Tampa to Washington? It's a direct flight. And I went, no, I didn't. And I thought, why didn't I? And the, the point, the reason I didn't is intuitively, the decision I was making was to go to Delta. That's where I book my flights. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about the carriers. I just book everything there. And I didn't rationally think it through and think to myself, well, are there other flights that I could get and everything else? So when you start to understand that at that level, you start to realize it, it you know, and it's we, we talk about call centers. Uh, you know, there are people that intuitively will pick up the phone and contact a contact center. They tend to be of my age group, not yours. Um, but, you know, some people intuitively would go to chatbots or something like that to contact the organization. Um, there are other people that will intuitively um, um, go to, to call centers. So it, what you discover when you start to look into this whole area of behavioral science is that we don't make logical choices. Uh, and there are various biases and what they call heuristics, which sounds very grand, but a heuristic is effectively a rule of thumb. Okay, so it's a, something that we put in place just to, uh, and unknowingly put in, in place to help us make decisions. Uh, and all of those things bias what we do and how we, and how we do it. Does that make sense? It definitely does. One of the things that you, you touched on was the Delta side and more importantly about the fact that you just did it intuitively because you've always done it that way. Sure. And so that's one of the reasons why people don't necessarily make a change is because, well, we've always done it. My, right. my parents always bought Tide Soap, so I'm also going to buy Tide Soap because that's right. just that next journey yeah. in the cog. Yes. How, even though it may or may not improve your experience or your journey um, from point A to point B. So how, how can people start thinking about different ways 
or to to get outside of that that rut of uh, that intuitive thinking. Uh, maybe if it's uh, around b- big decisions or if, if it's around uh, certain ways, like what what can people think so they're making sure that they can have the the best way or the the to get outside of that rut. Yeah, it's so it's interesting, isn't it? Because if I was telling a Delta executive of my story, they'd be very pleased. Um, and they wouldn't want me to get out of the rut um, because I am in that habit. And, and you know, habits are a, not a separate, but is within that structure is I have a habit. And again, if you think of why we have habits, habits are there to, again, make our life easier. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, and and some of this is, you know, and we make our lives cognitively easier. And what I mean by cognitively is just the processing power that it takes to think about things. So, you know, I'm sure your listeners sitting there and, you know, they, they've, they've spent a day at work and they, they're walking away from work thinking to themselves, you know, I'm really tired at the end of the day, but they've not done any exercise. They've just been thinking. And the point I'm trying to make is, that takes energy okay to get energy we need to do things like eat and drink and stuff like that so over the millennia what's happened is we've we've worked out ways to uh we've worked out ways to um not use much energy so uh, hence intuition and habits etc so if you're a company and you're trying to sell your services, you want your uh, you want a customer to to come to you intuitively, okay? Uh, if you're that individual, if your if your question is, well, if I'm an individual, how do I do that? Um, well, you've got to understand the sort of the process, okay? So the the process of building habits, um, and there's a really good book called The Power of Habits, okay. Um, uh it is that we we have a stim there's a stimulus of some description so i walk past starbucks i smell coffee okay that stimulates a thought in my mind of oh coffee i i i now get i now execute the habit which is i walk into starbucks and order a coffee i now get the reward which is drinking the coffee okay so um, you know, what ways can you interrupt that? Well, again, if you walk down a aisle in a grocery store, you'll see promotional ends where they are with big banners and stuff like that, where they're trying to interrupt the habit of going down and buying a tin of beans. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, me getting the same tin of beans every time. And there may be a big promotional end with it. So you're doing something to try to interrupt interrupt that habit or to just notice that I've just smelled coffee, therefore I'm going to go into Starbucks. Actually, no, I'm not. But that is the right, that's the, the rational part of your brain going, nah, you're not going to do that, Colin, okay? Um, because you, it, effectively the rational part of the brain can override the intuitive part of the brain, okay? Um and, and effectively tell it what to do in many circumstances. The interesting parts become that there are times, and again, I'm sure everybody's felt this, where, you know, 
particularly if you're tired at night or you know you've had a busy day and the intuitive part of your brain goes oh I'd like a bar of chocolate yeah uh, and the rational part of the brain goes I just can't you know I haven't got the energy to argue with you just have the bloody thing you know um and again that's that's where you know that sort of lack of habits starts to or, or lack of the, inter, in, the interception of the habit. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, and if I was to pull this back to customer experience, I would be saying, identify the stimulus for the habit. So if you are in the call center environment, if a customer is automatically contacting you and you would prefer that they went through a different channel, what's the stimulus for them to make that call to you and what is it then you can do to intercept that that call and you're seeing some of that in some of the in some of the ivr systems that they've got now where they're saying hey you can do this online a lot you know um faster etc 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 i'm never sure if i actually believe that to be honest with you but that's a different subject um but you get the idea they're, they're at least trying to put some form of stimulus in there so a long answer but i hope hope that answers your question it definitely did so are you saying that it takes more effort to be rational than it does to be intuitive yes it absolutely does so the intuitive system is an always-on system it's there um it's working all the time to be able to make choices when somebody says I need to think about that. That's when you start, you know, if I said to you, tell me what two and two is, you'd say four. If I turn around to you and said, tell me what 237 times 694 is, that takes a hell of a lot more work. And I don't know the answer to that myself. (laughs) Um, But you get the idea. That's because you would have to think in the true sense of the word, think about well, how do I calculate that and even write it down or whatever? Seems like you have to think about it, process that, and then act upon it. Yeah, it, it's whether, I guess, to a certain extent, Nick, it's like the processing is automatic in the sense of the intuitive, okay? It's automatically done, whereas the rational, you do have to physically go through a, a, a process of, going, right, I need to do this, now I need to do that, now I need to do it. So let me give you other examples. Um, it's a bit like when you um, when you learn to type, okay? You know, we weren't, we didn't, we weren't born with the ability to type, we had to learn it, okay? But, but and in those early days, you would, you know, you would just use two fingers and, and, and work out where it is. Um, now people type without thinking about it. It's an intuitive act. It's a bit like you drive home at night, you walk through the front door, and you think, I don't remember driving home. Um, you know, I was listening to your podcast, uh, or I was thinking about something else, but I'm driving at the same time. So that's you're effectively then being driven. The scary thing is you're being driven home by your intuitive system and you're not thinking about it. Have you ever 
Have you ever, this is what gets me, have you ever gone to go somewhere and then you found you, you, you're driving in the wrong place? You know, you've gone to, on a Saturday, you've, you've, you've gone to go somewhere and you've ended up driving as if you're driving to work. Uh, and you think, well, well, how am I doing this? You know, um, that's your intuitive system. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And, and yes, I think all of us have either been part of a listening to a podcast or a song or somebody's sitting next to us and all of a sudden we take the wrong exit or we continue to drive it where we should not have. But yeah, I, I think that's that's so fascinating. And um, for my listeners, if they want to learn more about that, you know, go back and, and listen to your podcast. But, um, you know, one of the things that I had thought of, too, is is our gut intuition. Are, are that feeling. And I think you've talked about a little bit of walking down dark alley and, or seeing somebody uh, that you're not sure that you can see their face. But uh, the question I have for you is, are our gut truth tellers or not? Or are they really just kind of, is it like a, a shield where it's kind of blocking us from, from that danger or are they setting us up to fail? These are two good questions, mate. Um, so let, let me let me let me let me try and sort of start at the beginning. Again, if you think about your gut, so your gut reaction to something or your gut feeling, and you think about think about the phrase, it's a no-brainer. That's effectively saying it's intuition. I'm using the intuitive part of my brain. It's a no-brainer effectively i don't have to think about it it's obvious okay uh, and 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 so that's your gut the interesting bit then becomes how did you get to that gut decision okay now some of what you described is that you know i don't know if you go to we'll walk down a dark alley well some of that is actually inbuilt into us because we um you know we, we, humans and animals have been built up to protect themselves so you know we have a natural adversity to snakes and stuff like that you know but when you then start to uh think about your gut your gut is based upon the experiences that you've had and you forming an opinion so let's go back to soccer um when I'm watching Luton play, I how do I and even yeah, you know, obviously this applies to customer experience as well. So, in fact, let me give you an example of this. The other day I was on the tube going into London, and it said there is a good service going into London, okay, on the on all the banners. And I thought, what's good? What do they mean by good? I mean, and who's defining good? Because I've just been down to London and back. I wouldn't define that as good. I would define it as okay. I would define it as it's what I expected, but I wouldn't define that as good, you know? Um, so what does good mean? Does it mean that the trains went faster? Does it mean they, et cetera? So again, if you go back to what I was just about to say about the soccer, um, how do I know when Luton have had a good game? Yeah, how do I know when they play well? Well, because I've been watch soccer for years and years and years, I've got a view 
as to what a good game looks like and playing well looks like. I've got opinions that I form that are all within our memories and everything else um, about what that looks like. So when I am now, when somebody says to me, when I come home at night and my wife says to me, um, Colin, you know, uh, you know, what was the game like? Was it a good game? I go within a second. I go, yeah, it's a good game. Yeah, you know, we did we did well. Now I'm using all the experience and the knowledge and all the bloody games that I've watched to make that assessment. Same applies again with a customer experience. Same applies with a contact center. I'm phoning a contact center. I know what a contact center does. I've I've been through fifty million of them. I know whether this is going to be a good experience or not. I know what to expect. And at the end of it, when I'm interestingly enough giving my score, if I then get a survey through, then I'm basing it. It's going to be my gut reaction based upon all of those things. So I like how you brought it back to the contact center because every everybody's perception is their own reality. Yeah. And based off of the experience they had with that last with that company their last best experience of a previous company or their current experience today. And it's interesting that sometimes you can make a, a better experience that everybody wants to say, how do you make this, the experience that they have today, regardless of how they interacted or, or felt prior to that interaction, how do you make them talk about you at the dinner table in the best way? Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting and and the reason why I think that is interesting is because when with the the customer satisfaction score, and specifically around it's it's right now I think the data has showed which I think I've read on on one of your articles it's at a seventeen year low, yeah. And so somebody's perception about their company, based off of expectations or based off of uh, their own reality. What what's the what's the 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 reason why it's at a seventeen year low today? So the immediate answer that everybody gives is, well, it's down to COVID. And I um and not just me, but if the, the, the stat you're quoting from is from the American Customer Satisfaction Index, and it's something I've been following for years. It started in 1998, if my memory serves me correctly. Um and it, it looks across many different organizations, it gets quoted um uh by organizations uh, as to how their customer sat is, basically. Um, and one of the things that they talk about is the fact, and in fact, we had the president on the show, and in fact, he's coming up again shortly. Um, one of the things is that um, only a third of organizations have improved their customer satisfaction um, at all between. 2010 and 2019. So 2010, 2019, only a third of organizations have improved their customer SAT. So that means two thirds haven't. And that was pre-COVID. Okay. That is before all the focus, during all the focus on customer experience. And I've been doing this for 20 years. Uh, that, that has been with all of the purchasing of the voice of the customer software that that everyone's buying and i'm not saying they shouldn't buy it by the way i'm just trying to point out that you know only a third of organizations haven't and i think that if i was to 
If I was to put it down to one thing, and what I've learned over the years is it's never one thing. It's always a multitude of things. But if I was to say, what's the main thing? I think the main thing is that people do not focus on what drives value. So they they tinker around the edges and they focus on, and this is where I start getting a bit, um, I find this a bit ironic because the second book that I wrote was on customer centricity. So the book was called Revolutionize Your Customer Experience. So I always find it a bit strange saying this. They focus on things that um, customers say that they want. And this is one of the areas that I have been going into over the last 10 years. And what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this, that there's a big difference between what customers say that they want and what drives value. And when I say value, I mean what the organization gets. Okay. So uh, if you listen to the podcast, you'll all, you would have heard my favorite story, but let me repeat it for your audience, which is Disney know that when they ask their customers what they want to eat at a theme park, Disney know that people say they'd like to have a salad or an option of a salad when they go to a theme park. Disney also know that people don't eat salads at theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers. So if you go into all of this behavioral stuff, what customers tell you is the most important thing for them. Uh, and what actually is the most important thing for them can be different. Okay. And I think what has been happening is organizations have been focused on either not even thinking about what does the customer want, want us to change, or they've actually listened too much to the customer without doing some form of other research to identify what's driving value, which has then led to two thirds of organizations not improving their experience. I mean, um, you know, the other scary stat um, is, and I, you know, I, I believe this is the case as well. A forester at the beginning of 2023 have said that they think one in five customer experience jobs are going to go. Okay. Why? Well, because if you're not producing value, if you can't turn around to your boss and say, this team that I've got of five people, you know, that costs X amount of dollars to run is actually giving something back and generating more revenue, guess what? They're going to cut them. Uh, and so they should, to be honest with you. Um, so I think the main reason uh, for that decline has been a lack of focus on what's driving value um, and then organizations going, nah, we're just going to start cutting that. That's, and they don't really believe that improving customer experience will is a main, um, is a main uh, area for them. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. 
They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. So it's interesting you said one in five will be cut. Uh, I, I, I feel like that's true, and, and but I'd like to hear your reason why you think is it have to do with that they're not they're in their own little bubble and they're saying they have this little magic wand and they're saying everybody everybody needs and wants CX so we, we want to improve the customer experience we want to do these things that the pixie dust and fairy tales is it because they don't align it with business outcomes and so they're not communicating back and forth with the with the leadership and what they're measured on or is it something else uh, I think the answer to that is yes. So it's all of those. So for me, um, it is them. So, and and to be fair, I mean, I, I had this job 20 years ago when I, I used to, before I started Beyond Philosophy, I, I was working in corporate life, running call centers for British Telecom. Okay, so I used to have three and a half thousand people in contact centers that I used to lead. Um, and uh, so the so the, I think the first thing the first thing to say is that some of it's some of it's not their fault. They're being given responsibility without authority. Okay, and then they're being told you're in your little box. Don't come out of that box. Yeah, we 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 think customer experience is important, but you know what? They don't really. And this is now the leaders of that organization. We think customer experience is important. Everybody else seems to be doing it. So we think it's important. So we'll put a team in there, but we're not going to let you do really what you need to do. So you're going to be in this little box um, and, you know, you do that. Um, I think then the people that are, you know, that are looking at customer experience are not focusing on the things that are driving value. And they are not articulating their their worth well enough, and they are over promising and under under delivering. Okay, so they've sold the concept of customer experience is great. It's going to get we're going to get loyal customers. We're going to make more money, and then for a multitude of those reasons, um, they're they're coming back with it. I mean, the other the other area I think is. It, it's and this happened with CRM. I'm I'm old enough to remember the CRM wave. Um, that you've then got a lot of the technology companies um, effectively going in there saying, "Buy this technology, this voice of the customer technology, and it will solve all of your problems." Effectively, yeah. Uh, and do I think that the voice of the customer technology is important? Yeah. Will it solve all the problems? No. Um, and I think there's a whole cultural issue within organizations that is stopping them, stopping it be, them being customer experience professionals being successful. And so it's all of those things that are combining. And the results are that when you go into a recession, unfortunately, uh, as certainly the UK is already in, uh, and the states has been teetering on for a, a while. You know, the first thing that people look for is the non non productivity generating areas, 
Uh, and the danger is, is that's customer experience. Do I want it to be that? No, I definitely don't. Um, but, you know, that's the that's the reality, I think. So what would it take for an organization to have that culture shift back towards the customer experience? What would happen? What would need to be happened from the leadership level to understand and believe that it is the right fit? I think I'll go back to it. it it's it's evidence that it works. It's not rocket science. You know, if you can suddenly show, so one of our famous um, case studies is Maersk Line. Maersk are the largest container shipping company in the world. And we help them improve their net promoter score by 40 points over a 30 month period. And that led to a 10% rise in shipping volumes. And that's not us saying that, that's Maersk Line. Okay. Turn around to a CEO and say, I can improve your, I can improve your um, shipping volumes by 10%. You know, do you want to do this? Of course they do. Okay. So it's about, they're business people. So it's about being able to prove it. So if you've got someone that's skeptical, the way that I would be going about it would be to go, right, well, let's, run a pilot in this little area here and let's prove that it works. And now then let's start to expand that rather than try to go all in. Yeah. But you've got to prove that it works and you've got to prove it in the, in my view, you've got to prove it in the numbers. Um, And it shouldn't just be, you know, hit and hope basically. So you touched on a recession, how some are in, some are teetering when it comes to countries from your perspective, what are the advantages of a recession? So the, I, I actually wrote a blog on this a couple of days ago. Um, the, the advantages of re- recession is, well, in fact, let me let me tell you this story because I, I've, I always like this story. I was watching a film a little while ago of um, an old sort of black and white film of racing drivers, Formula One racing drivers, and they were driving around the driving around the circuits um and the the lead car spun out and the person was killed okay and the person that was second went on to win the win the race and uh when they the they were interviewing them afterwards after the race and they said well when you saw the accident you know and the unfortunate death of this this person this was all fictional by the way um you know do you did you slow down you know uh and he said no i sped up he said because i knew everyone behind me would slow down and that for me is the biggest opportunity everyone the majority 80 20 rule 80 percent of organizations are going to slow down they're not going to invest so much in customer experience etc now is the time to invest because now is the time that everybody else is cutting back 17 year low etc and that will give you that spur of energy and um uh growth that you will need coming out of the the recession the the other good thing about recessions is it just gets rid of the dross you know when when you're in a growing market everybody's you know everybody's fine basically you know even the even the organizations that are um, don't do well are doing okay because you're in a growing market. When you hit a recession, suddenly 
you know, a push comes to shove and you start to have to realize that you you need to do things. So I think that, you know, there are definitely advantages. Okay. And and for me, the final thing I would say is I've always seen reorganizations and change as a time of opportunity rather than a time of threat. So if there's change in your organization, you know, I understand that it can be disconcerting, but it also means there's opportunities that are being shaken out that that you could potentially take advantage of. Well said and completely agree on your statement there. Um, So I wrap up every podcast with two questions. And the first question I have for you is what book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? Uh, A good book actually is um, Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas that uh, that don't make sense. It's a guy, written by a guy called Rory Sutherland. He's heavily into behavioral science, and he got some great examples in there of of uh, and he's from a marketing background of of how you can do things. The other area that I think uh, that I've literally turned on to in the last week that I think people should look into is: Have you heard of uh, Chat GBT? I have. Yeah, incredible. Um, and I've been starting to play about with it. And I think that's going to have a massive impact in the in the contact center environment. The other day, I, I asked it to write me. Um, it's So for anybody that doesn't know, it's open AI. It's only been going for a month. They've, had, they've got like a million subscribers in five days, which has been a massive growth, much higher than any other platform that's ever been launched. Um, I asked it the other day to write me a call center script um, for a, a particular scenario. I asked it the other day, and then you can, the good thing is, is that you can then change the parameters and do things. I asked it um, to write me a complaints procedure. Uh, and then I said, no, could you make it a bit more empathetic, please? Um, and then it went off and made it more empathetic. Um, so I probably went off at a tangent there, but um, certainly that book, but certainly also look into chat GBT. I think it's stunning. I think it's in, and we'll definitely check out Rory and his book and uh, with chat GPT, I think it's fascinating. It, it all depends on what are you trying to accomplish? And then what are the questions that you can ask chat GPT? And then you can even say, expand upon what you just said, what what yeah. you just wrote and it will do it or it will rewrite it for you in a different way if you want it to have a different uh you know if you want it to have empathy or if you want it to be more curious in the questioning yeah. and so uh i challenge everybody to use it and not just to use it and then take that information and and apply it but use it uh, to increase what you're trying to accomplish and then personalize it based off of your use case don't just yeah. you know you, you could easily write a uh, a book about the uh the intuitive journey of the customer experience and say, create a, an outline of this and that expand yes. upon each thing. But, uh, you know, I think there's, that's a good start, but it's not the end result. It's similar to the contact center. You don't want to have an AI in all of your interactions in every single channel to sure. solve every single customer problem, but it will find ways to automate some of the routine it'll create a better customer experience. It will drive efficiencies, but it's not the end all be all, but uh, a great, great start. So 
highly recommend the other, as well. The other area, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but is just the other day I thought, so I, I asked it to write me a customer complaint letter that um, the, um, effectively that was a legal document or a legal letter to an organization that, where the product didn't work. So the implications for me then become the danger is, is organizations are going to get a lot more of those types of letters. So again, then you get into, well, how do you, how do you actually deal with them? Somebody tweeted the other day that they, they that chat GBT had taken some bar exam for being a lawyer and passed it. It also took the SAT and had a, the median score. Right. Wow. It, like crazy. But, um, so the last question I have for you is if you could leave a note to every single customer service professional and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? I think it would say two things. Pretend. Um, one is always remember you need to focus on what drives value for the organization. And the second thing is look at what customers do, not what they say. Yeah. And I think that's a, there's a go back to this whole behavioral science part. Um, you know, it, it's about really what customers are doing, not what they say they're going to do. Uh, and that's the really revealing bit. It's great. Colin, where's the best way for my listeners to define and connect with you? Um, so probably the best place is um, um, two areas. One is either on our website, which is uh, beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com uh, or on LinkedIn. Um, so um, just go in there and Google me or put my name. Um, I normally come out fairly at the top. Reach out that way. Sounds good, Colin. I've truly enjoyed this conversation and uh, wishing you nothing but success here in 23. Thank you very much for having us on, Nick. Much appreciated. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.